Better Leads podcast. Yeah, I'm talking about Mountain Dews, baby. We are helping small businesses be more profitable and effective by hooking better leads. Eat bread and desserts and just get all fat and sassy. This is Tim Brown, and I'm here with Dale Dupree from the Sales Rebellion. How you doing, Dale? What's up, dude? Doing good. How about you? I am doing very well. I am talking about sales mistakes and uh, common sales problems and how to fix them with Dale. Now, Dale is privy to a lot of organizations. He talks to companies about what they can improve on their sales. He consults with specific salespeople and helps them improve their sales skills. And that's what the Sales Rebellion is all about. I love the way Dale on LinkedIn tries to create a movement and he has a group of salespeople and he creates community. And I think one of the things that you've mastered in marketing is people like us do things like this. That's a vibe that I, um, that I, a quite like a, an idea that I've taken from Seth Godin, people like us do things like this. And one of those things is aspirational identity. And you take one of your things is sales rebel. So that's like your thing is like, you always, you champion the sales rebel. You talk about the sales rebel and, and the mindset around that. You've got a this um, this community and there's network effects to that community as well. So I'd love for you to briefly talk about what you've done there and creating an aspirational identity for your ideal customer, and then we'll get into the sales uh, the sales problems that people have. Yeah, for sure, man. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk more about the rebellion and really because that's the point of what we're doing is not to, not to try and sell people to come and buy our sales training as much as we want to encourage people to understand that there is a better way of life for them as a salesperson to begin with. And, and the rest just follows naturally. Right. And that's what sales is. Sales is about this concept of being able to properly articulate what it is that you desire in regards to how it is that you'd like to serve people and what it is that those people particularly are struggling with that need that need your help to begin with and and not sounding like a robotic mess you know in the way that you present and the way you pitch and the way you close and the way you nurture the whole nine yards right we have made this systematic process out of sales that literally just manipulates the buyer in most cases. And you can look at any kind of sales training, you can find little glimpses of, of that manipulation. But we take an altruistic approach. It started with my father who taught me sales to begin with. And I'm just passing his legacy off to the generations of people that never got to meet him and never will get to meet him. You know, so this is a legacy concept for me more than anything, which is what the biggest driver is, which is what we also teach salespeople to tap into. What is your legacy? Not so much of how much money do you want to make or how many sales do you want to get this year? You know, the, the idea of popping into something that drives you emotionally more so than something that drives you from this perspective of tangibles, because things that are tangible don't yield true happiness and they're fleeting constantly. But that that drives us from a deeper level is what will always sit and with us and create that intrinsic motivation to begin with. So Simon Sinek talks about starting with why. Is that kind of a core piece? You're talking about this intrinsic motivation. What's your deepest kind of, what do you want to be your legacy? So that's a big question that you talk about with the salespeople that you're that you're trying to motivate? It's definitely a, a piece of the puzzle. And we, we believe that there are four major questions, not just why, because some people can't tap into their why. Some people are driven more by I know, their I have why. a hard time with it. Yeah, yeah, and it's that analytical side in most piece, of, of most people. And, and that, that side of them where, 
emotionally, they would prefer to be detached to some extent, which is it's natural. That's the thing. We don't talk enough about the truths of who we are. And, and, and so when we look at a why, it's really about deciding and understanding whether or not you have one in the first place. And if you don't, it's okay. You don't, you're not some weirdo that doesn't know how to get to a why, right? That's what we tell our sales reps all the time that just don't have that inside of their genetic DNA. But it, it is important to ask the driving question. Is it why? Is it what? Is it who? Is it how? right? Mm -hmm. Which one is it? And, and by doing those things, we can better accommodate the way that we help build somebody up intrinsically from that motivational standpoint of where emotions yeah. lie to begin with. I like that. Um, so I got a couple questions here before we get into specific uh, sales mistakes, sales problems. Um, one of the biggest ones, you know, I, I'm not closing deals at the pace that I want to close deals at. How do you know whether it's sales or marketing that's in the most need of tweaking. I, I follow a lot of sales memes, meme accounts, and they're always, uh, we're always making fun of marketing leads because <laughs> marketing leads, you know, we're talking about like somebody downloads a white paper or something like that. They often aren't really, they aren't, they don't wanna set up a demo per se, or they don't wanna do the, you know, they're not trying to schedule an appointment. They just get funneled from marketing as this pile of garbage leads. And I make fun of them too, because I think it's a, I think it's a problem. We, we shouldn't just spam everybody that opts in for the tiniest thing. But I, I'm curious, how do you make that distinction? What is this, what is this, you know, this big line in between sales and marketing? Where is the, how do you identify the problem? Who, who's responsible? I think really that like both parties should take full responsibility. And I, I think because I think that like some the problem is, is that salespeople just blame marketing for bad leads and marketing people blame salespeople for not being able to convert them is like where it all in lies. And I think that if both parties take a stand against this idea of, of or I should say toward this idea of creating unison and getting and then in that moment, taking a stand against this concept of having to end fight between the two departments to begin with, you revolutionize the way that it looks you know, because it's easier. It's very easy, I should say, and that, but nobody wants to do it because it's not convenient to have, let's just say a, a marketing person that has an inbound lead, brings an inbound lead to the company, sit in on the first sales call and listen and hear that qualification and hear and, and be like, Oh my gosh, yeah, this is not a good lead <laughs> or to say, to say, well, I think it is a good lead. I think you should change these couple of questions and, and, and for the salesperson to be able to say, cool, I'll humor you on that. I'll try that next time around. Right. And create this distinct unison between the two departments. But also I think it's a visionary concept as well too, you know, that we, that we lack in most cases because it's just the way that it works. Right. The way that it works is that sales hates marketing, marketing hates sales. And, the, and then the bigger picture perspective is that everybody hates salespeople on top of it. Right. So it's, it's like a lose, lose for salespeople. And, and really they have to be the leaders inside of this whole concept to begin with. Right. Where if the leads are weak, as they say, in one of the best sales movies ever created, that's obnoxious as hell, then they are weak. And that's the, that's the point, but you have to sit down and show the proof of why yeah. and show what it is specifically that we want to, that we desire to develop for an outcome to begin with, or else nobody will ever be on the same page. If you were ever set up with a bunch of weak leads, let's say you were in a position where you had 20 weak leads. Um, and that was your, that was your whole week. You didn't have any strong ones. You just had 20 weak ones. They all downloaded a white paper or something. Is there anything that you could do or would consider doing if, if that's all you had to try to try to strengthen weak leads. 
So I think the, the thought process here is that if, so, if somebody indicates that they're somewhat interested, so like we have a free download called the crumpled letter at crumpledletter.com. And yeah. the idea is, is that salespeople typically go download that and then they never use it, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's free and they just, they see all these testimonials and they go, oh, this thing's going to be awesome. And then they, and then they get cold feet in the first place. So if we're calling on those people, they typically don't want to talk. But here's the thing is that I should say like in general, if, if you have people downloading a free thing off your website and you're calling them, they typically don't want to talk. Right. But mm -hmm. with us, where we have an unlock is that we've built a very attractive brand. And I think that that's mm -hmm. what it is, is that when we call people that download us this free piece of, of our, our puzzle when it comes to marketing and sales and what can elevate their outreach game from a hybrid perspective, we don't call them and say, Hey, you downloaded the free crumpled letter. How's it going? We say, Hey, this is so-and-so at the sales rebellion. What's up? Yeah. And, yeah. and they typically go, Oh, I didn't expect to hear from you. That's usually what they all say. Yeah. But again, we, we attract our tribe. So even those yeah. people, because those people cannot afford sales training in the way that we, we have priced it and the way that we're trying to build quality for us as well too. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We don't expect them to dig into their pockets and spend a whole bunch of money, but we have a system for them, right? And it's the system of our community that we can add them into. And, and so we look at even the weakest leads, right? We look at them as, as purpose, purpose filled and, and we try to create some kind of synergy for them. So if I had to simplify what you're saying here, the takeaway is build brand. Brand yes. strengthens weak leads. So yes. what are the, the key levers sales managers should focus on when they're trying to help their team grow? I see. I think the problem with with managers in general is that even if I if I name a few things, they'll try to turn it into a KPI. And <laughs> sure, like a KPI is is they are good to an extent when it comes to tracking, right? When it comes to accountability, but you can't measure a KPI the same way you can measure a result. You just can't. That's the bottom line. And and so I think that what managers need to do is they need to look at the the macro. So they need to say, all right, what we want is a result. And then they need to come down to the micro, which would be the things that drive the result. And the problem is, though, inside of the micros that most people focus on, again, the metrics. They say, how many calls did you make? Or they try to turn something into, you know, that we put a, an emphasis on into a metric and into a actions KPI. or habit metrics. You're not talking about closed deals. You're talking about in the meantime, activity metrics, which are yes. often going to really lead you down a wild goose chase because the activity should change based on the need probably. Exactly. It's a waste. Yeah. I totally get it. I've been down that side before and that's why we love working with you, Dale, because you help uh, our team stay focused on the results and the activity stuff is less of a, is less of a focus in, in the way that you shouldn't get stuck there. It's okay to do short pushes in, in the area of activity, but you don't want to get into the spot where you're, you're just hammering on that and it stays stuck. And the problem is, is that that stays for like months and months. And then it's like that activity, is that activity getting us any, any results? No, but we're still doing it because we have a tick now that we're yes. doing that. And that's, that's really what you see. I think uh, is one of the biggest problems in sales today is people get really focused on activity and not focused on result. And thus you don't trust people. That's the problem. You don't trust yes. people to actually be a human and take results. And I mean, what, what I think about it as a manager, as a leader, sometimes it means I hired, hired wrong. If I really don't trust somebody, I hired wrong. And that's, that's just, people don't want to have that conversation right now, though.
No, they don't. And that's that's okay. I mean, it's it's okay to admit that you've uh, made a mistake. Um, it's okay to admit that you need to set better expectations. And but it's it's not okay to get so micromanagey that everyone on your organization hates you. Right. What's the biggest thing that you see sales culture is rife with that you just flat out disagree with? Take your soapbox for a second. <laughs> Uh, I cannot stand the bro culture of sales. I had to be around it for a very long time. And, and then I, I had to exist in it and be around it, right? Because I had to exist in it. And then I also had, I had to build and cultivate relationships with people in my territory in order to build out a, a very defined network. One that would build also up, help. Or, uh, list up uh, a bunch of like attributes yeah. of bro yeah. culture of sales. First of all, I'm sure one is interrupting. That which is I'm doing yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The, the number one is, no, is interrupted now. Just kidding. So the, 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 the first would be this, the mindset, right? So bro culture mindset would be that, that the customer sucks and they don't know what they're doing. And they, and you are the, the ultimate champion of the, of the customer's business and selling them something is like your trophy. Right. And that, that to me is just total BS in the first place. Another one would be this idea of the way that we treat individuals. So we classify because we're an A player in a bro culture and there's B's and C's. We classify those salespeople as weaker and we give them less time and attention, or we make, we, we create a status in, in, inside of like this ecosystem that, that either kind of walks them out the door or, or makes them try to drive and desire more, you know, to get into this special club. The other one is that the bro culture excludes women completely in most cases it, it doesn't care about what women think. It doesn't care about the fact that they are different than, than men to begin with. Go and, off, and it King. Typically... Say it again. I said, go off, King. <laughs> the, the, the thing about this subject, too, with women in sales is that there are some really badass women that are out there that are doing an amazing job of building culture and creating something that's sustainable for women and men, but they don't get recognition. The people that get recognition are the, the ladies that hang with the boys, as they say, right? Which is kind of just like selling your soul to the concept, right? Not the women that are creating inclusivity inside of the culture that they have, right? They're the ones that they are, women are, are, are put on pedestals when they wear short skirts, and they use their attractiveness to get a, you know, to make sales and and win, right? Instead of sitting back and saying, "Why you don't need to do those things? You're a beautiful person anyway. You don't have to prove it to anybody, and you don't have to use that as a manipulation tactic inside of what it is that you're trying to build." No, and nobody wants to say that either because it means it in their mind less sales to begin with. These are tough conversations that nobody wants to have. But those are just a few things that I would say that bro cultures in, in, in corporate or incorporated. The last thing I would say is drinking. There's way too much of a, there's a, there is like this almost, if you drink, if you don't drink and you're in sales, you're not accepted into that type of culture at all. It's like, you're weird. Who are you? Right. And that the, the alcohol portion of it is what brings the worst out in people. And I witnessed that throughout my entire career. Absolutely. Well, no, I'm sober too. So uh, I don't know if you are, but basically I I've struggled with that. And, uh, Certainly was scary for me as I entered marketing in general, not necessarily um, the sales culture, but marketing is the same way. There's just a lot of like, you feel like if you don't do it, you might be out of the club or something like that. Um, I did find that I could handle myself very well in those social situations, those networking situations without doing that. Um, and, and I think it was in my own head a little bit, um, but certainly it is one of those things where it's kind of scary. 
scary if you're a new person in that industry, you, you think you might not be able to do well. Um, and then it comes down to like, what do you call a, a coffee after work or, you know, it's like happy hour. Like you can still go to, I've, I've found it. You just go to it and you just don't need to make a big deal out of the fact you're not drinking. No one cares really. They they only care that they're able to have a drink and that's basically the only thing. So why do salespeople struggle with mental health and how have you seen people stay on top of that? I know that you've had moments where you've been involved with situations where it was very scary or salespeople had major issues with this. So how have you seen some people take responsibility for that? And, and what's like some developments in that area that you, that yeah, you is hopeful? I think the number one issue is, is that sales is full of rejection, belittling, manipulation on both sides, right? And because it's very negative in, in the way that it's stereotyped. It's not the altruistic form of sales, right? But it's there's a lot of stereotypes that are very negative and they are the reality for a lot of people as well too. And and I, I think that the problem, the biggest problem is that a lot, of, like I struggled with depression far before I got into sales, you know, and not really putting two and two together thinking that this would fuel my depression even further by any means. And I think that a lot of people proactively, they don't have those conversations. And they're not in front of it. And so because of it, they're behind it. And by the time it finally catches up to them, it's not pretty. And I'm lucky to have been able to be saved in an instance of, uh, you know, attempted suicide and, and being able to come out of that with my head on my shoulders and not having to, you know, essentially like quit life because that's where it had me at one point. And so I'm grateful to God for the ability, the ability to be able to have been around and, and, and mentored by some of the most amazing men and women that I could have ever asked for in my life in those moments. And to, to this day, still being able to have those types of support systems. But you know, I just think that it's a proactive approach instead of a reactive one around the subject, because you don't sit down and interview somebody and go, so do you have a problem with mental illness or depression? You know, because it's like a weird question. But to me, it's not. Because if you were to sit down and ask me, I'd be like, thank you for asking. And yes, I do. And this, these are the steps I take. This is this is how I, I help myself in my own personal walk. And and so knowing that you know sometimes I'm in if I'm in a bad mood, so to speak, that it's not just a bad mood. That it's something that genetically, you know, almost like inherently, because I do believe that there is a deeper issue behind mental illness, right? And that it doesn't just happen because of something that's been traumatic in our life. That's just another piece of the puzzle, right? But you know, when we can sit back and understand that some people just can't get away from it, they can't help it, they can't take a pill either. You know, they're the majority of suicides are are done when somebody is on antidepressant medication in the first place, right? And we don't talk about these things. And so I think the biggest issue is silence. Silence has to, to be something that that fleets and fades away. It's beautiful. I like it. So at the expense of going very serious to <laughs> real uh rattling some stuff off real quick i do want to get into the the sales mistakes that i struggle with i'm going to briefly talk about them and then i'm going to have you talk about sales problems that you see as common um one my biggest sales mistake talking too much i do it i think i have a hard time asking questions I want to impress people, but I also want to, it's not, that's the negative side, but the positive side is I want to help people. I want to help people and be, that motivation twists me up sometimes. I don't care as much about closing the deal. So I don't get as like granular with like, I know that ultimately if I wanted to close the deal, 
I think I would slow down a little bit and ask. But it's also to make that experience more enjoyable because no one likes just listening to you talk about yourself or your solution the whole time. So, and the other thing is like ultimately understanding their problem is probably the biggest thing that's going to sell them. Same with marketing, stating the problem at the beginning of a marketing piece, like whether it's a Facebook post, a video or what have you, if you state their problem concisely in a way that's emotionally resonant with them, you're going to be able to deliver a solution way more easily. And with sales, that just means asking. You have to ask and really find out what those problems are first. Two, discussing features and technology instead of like business results in the case of, uh, you know, B2B and value. So discussing features and technology and like features instead of benefits, basically. Um, three, asking interview questions, checklist style. I've got checklists that I give to Tracy. I've got our uh, qualifying checklist. I'm sure if you ever, like, I've, I know that it's silly though, in, a, in the way of, if you ask those like they're listed, it will, um, it'll turn people off. Cause they're like, what is this? It's kind of the bro culture thing, a little bit of like, are you just trying to get me out the door? Cause I don't match up with exactly what you think a customer is supposed to look like. I, I know you hate, I know you don't hate, but I know you sometimes have issues with Grant Cardone, but I do like is to he has one good one good thing just one and that is no uh, uh he has the idea of like stop stop assuming just because somebody doesn't look exactly like the customer that you're used to that don't ever send people out and i've done that before accidentally like a friend from high school or something that sent me a message like i got this startup you know like please let's talk and i i like immediately disqualified him Cause he said, you know, new, new company. And that's not normally our customer. And, uh, and then he's like, well, we already have this much in recurring out the gate. And I was like, I was trying to like walk back my words. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, <laughs> by the way, uh, in that case, like he had already said, this guy doesn't want me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oops. And, <laughs> and that is not a, it's not a grant card. Like, he ultimately says not to assume somebody's not a customer. So I like that one thing about great. Um, and then pitching rather than conversing is another mistake. Um, I did like somebody said the golden thread, follow the golden thread, keep tugging. Where's their motivation? How do I, how do I tease that out? That's the golden thread, not caring uh -huh. enough about them as a person and what matters in their business. Uh, think if you care a lot and want to help them get to the solution, whether it's with you or as a competitor, uh, you know, for a, com a competitor or whatever, um, that caring to get them to the right solution is the number one thing. Uh, but what have you seen? You've talked to so many companies, man. This is just me rattling off things that I've dealt with. I'd love to hear just like all these times you talk to different companies, you're talking to them all the time. They've got the same problems that come up. What do you see is like those things that you know you're going to deal with when you're talking to a new, a new company, you're consulting with them. Yeah. Number, number one is like the biggest thing is the pitch itself. Like people's outreach in general, it's very boiler room. It's very, you know, basic. It's got a template. Uh, it's robotic. You know, but people think, well, I'm stating my name and my company and what I'd like to do with this person's business. Like, well, you know, that's all well and good, but they don't care. That's those are all things that 
make you feel good, but not the customer. They're not the customer's prerogative or agenda. So the, the first is usually in the way that they're pitching people. The second would be the middle of the funnel is typically garbage where people, people run absolutely atrocious discovery calls. We find that quite often, you know, cause most people, again, they create an agenda or they create a, a bullet pointed list of like, we need to make sure that they have these five or six things checked off. Or furthermore, they say, we need to find these five or six things so that we can attack them, but it's all agendistic, right? Where it doesn't really have, it's not problem centric in the first place and it's not customer centric at the end of the day. So that's usually the second thing that we run into. The third and probably the most popular is that nobody knows how to close. That's one of the other issues. And there are people out there that have said, here's a hundred different ways to close. And there are people out there that have said, this is the one golden rule that you need to close. And the problem is, is that we don't, we don't get back to, and you said it, we don't get back to fellowship, right? Instead of negotiations, we, and, and we, we replace fellowship with this idea of, oh, here's some tricks or some talk tracks we can use to get somebody to pull the trigger. Like I've not to go into a tangent, but I've seen my dad close business for a long time. I watched my dad close business. And I, and if I started telling you stories and examples, you'd be like, Whoa, because you would never be able to do what my dad did because it's what made him authentic. It was what made him radically authentic. I should say it's what made people fall in love with who he was. And that's the piece of the puzzle that we're not playing on. We're not playing on getting people to be relational or to, to become a fan or become somebody that wants to support us in the moment of the close, instead we get we get selfish and 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 head in that direction. Another really uh, interesting one would be. Is there if I pop something in there real quick? Please smack this, it. Yeah, we. I'm actually going to randomly talk about something from Alcoholics Anonymous. This is weird, but I'm going to throw it in here. I just happen to know about this, uh, no particular reason, but no. Uh, I uh, one of the things is that we're always trying to control the situation. Like people with a particular a particular um, issue with their brain, selfishness, right? I've got selfishness and I'm always trying to control other people. And even when I'm being nice, I'm trying to control other people. This is an issue I have. I know it uh, resonate with this because it's an issue. And I, and when you're being nice, you're kind of trying to control people. And when you're, when you're kind of like pushy or a little bit mean or something, you're trying to control people and people sense it. So like that idea of like, no matter what you do, whether it's the kindest thing in the world, if you're trying to push a couple levers to get a close, it gets smelled and gets kind of like, it's, it's scary. So um, people push against that. And just that idea has been very useful in my life of like, you got to watch when you're trying to get people to do things when you're, when you're, um, whether it's, whether you're doing it with niceness or otherwise, because people smell it. I think, I think that that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, they say women sometimes are not attracted to nice guys. And I, I think that that's a, it's an interesting random topic, but I think it kind of comes down to sometimes nice guys are trying to be manipulative with their niceness. And that's what they smell. They don't smell, they're not, they're not actually mad at nice guys. They're mad at nice guys that when they're nice, they expect them to do certain things. And that's right. the same thing we run into with sales is like, I'm being nice again. 
why are you not signing that deal? It's like, how many times are you going to try to be nice? And now I feel like I'm kind of mad at you for being so nice to me. It's like when Kanye said he woke up next to a water bottle in a, in a uh, airplane, he said, great. Now I got to be responsible for this. <laughs> so don't make people so responsible for all your niceness. Yeah, dude, that's a great way to put it because you being nice it's this whole idea of empathy, right? Where everybody started to use empathy as a play, right? Yeah. And not an actual altruistic emotion and action inside of communication, conversation, negotiation, whatever it is particular that we're working on with somebody. And because of that, now people are getting you know, offended by people using empathy or being turned off by it at that because it's, it is a thing that can only be done with humility and with honesty and sincerity and without it being that raw state, then it's manipulation. Yeah, exactly. So I would say another one, you know, a fourth to, to lay out here would be cadences that a lot of people, you know, I, I, I think one of the biggest things that we run into that's, it's interesting, you know, cause some people make it work uh, others. It works, but, and, and that, but is what, you know, basically just deflates the whole entire concept, which is, the way that they're sending out drip campaigns in particular. And the problem is, is that like, when you look at the second email, it says things like, Hey, did you get my last email? <laughs> and like assumptive selling, right? Or, Hey, I'm waiting to hear back from you. You never wrote me back. Things like that. Right. Where a lot of times people just struggle with copy in the way that they've created their, their sequences and what cadences they're putting into place from an outreach perspective. And sometimes that's, you know, the phone script, sometimes it's the email script, sometimes it's the voicemail script, sometimes it's in person when they walk in the front door, right? But it, uh, you know, around the, the, the clock there, like if you look at every single different way that you can do it, they do it the same, which is this very assumptive and expectation selling where they sit back and say, you know, you owe me something, right? Or you're supposed to get back to me, or this is supposed mm -hmm. to work somehow. But the whole premise of it is very manipulative and very offensive to begin with. But I say the fifth. How would you do that better? How would you? How would you stop you doing? To, stop doing those those types of sequences and cadences altogether. Like how? If like someone you, learned yeah. a little bit about Dale Dupree or Tim Brown, and they reached out to us and they said, "Yo, what's up?" and they use like three things that they've learned about us that they know about us that we speak about through our podcast, through our social mm. media content, I would hear that and go, "Yeah, what's up?" You know, or yeah. I'd say, "Hey, I'm not interested, but." This was a great email. And I just wanted to thank you for taking a minute to get to know me a little bit better. And that sets them up for another right, another response where they can say, dude, cool. I'm glad that we've taken the pressure off and yeah. I don't have to sell you anything. Do you want to just spend some time over the next couple of months getting to know each other? Maybe network a little bit. So I'm going to be open to yeah. something like that. Yeah. So if I, if I hear what you're saying, it's basically don't spend all the time setting up those automated sequences spend more time on personalization and actually trying to get to know people and even though it's small batch even though it's small batch you're probably going to have a better uh, a better ratio of returns and actually like getting in front of people it's it is one of those things where i see man we could probably go off for a long time on <laughs> on bad linkedin requests and emails one of the i gotta tell say one where I just recently had somebody that sent me something that was like, it looks like you've had a, a great experience with solution in brackets. Oh, garbage. And so basically they had taken somebody's sequence and then forgot to replace. And then like they sent me a follow-up one that was like, click cease. 
like underneath it. Like, sorry, I meant click cease. It's like, dude, anything wow. that's, that you smell template on it, it always gets a little scary. So if nothing, nonetheless, I'm not saying I've never used a template. Just ensure you've replaced your personalizations at the very least. Yeah. So that one's an yeah. obvious one. Yeah, I mean, because honestly, like, even if they're not using hyper-personalization, they can use the concept of familiarity yeah. to create something between the two of us that makes me go, you're right, or I recognize this, yeah. right? And and not in a bad way of like, oh, I see what you're doing here. This is a crappy spam email, you know, that you've templated, right? That's what people need to focus on. I always want to post those on LinkedIn, but I realize LinkedIn already has too many of those posts. Yeah. So just like terrible outreach. Yeah. So I'm like, fine, I can't do it, but I want to. I want everybody, to. everybody is a victim of it, dude. Yeah, it's it's funny though. Entertainment of awesome. nothing else. I think you had one more. I would say the the fifth and final is what people truly forget about what makes a salesperson good is personal development. That you can sit there and teach them all the tricks and tips in the world about what you did to be successful from a sales standpoint. But until they know thyself, they can never help the community. They can never serve correctly. They can never take somebody's experience to the next level. And so salespeople and sales leadership needs to start focusing more on the personal development of their people. That's beautiful. And to that point, um, Dale, can you just talk a little bit about Sales Rebellion and... Um what you guys are doing over there, maybe give a web address. Yeah, for sure. You know, salesrebellion.com is a great place to go. LinkedIn.com backslash IN backslash copier warrior. If you want to follow my feed daily, because I post every day, but really what we are out here doing is not, we're not trying to disrupt. It's a bad word to use in the sense of what we're trying to do. We're not trying, you know, people see rebellion and they think, Ooh, these guys got pitchforks and you know, they're out there burning things down. Like, no, it's not what we're doing. Like we, we are a rebellion based around hope, the hope of that. And really, I should say the hope around salespeople that are truly understanding of their calling and that they recognize and realize that there is more to life than just their quota. There's more to life than just the clothes, that their happiness is important, that their home life should be top notch. And that if it's not, that they should recognize that, respect it and start to build a better one, Right. The idea also of people being disconnected from their spirituality and, and whether that's God or it's the universe or whatever that looks like, right? It's, it's the fact of the matter that we continue to worship ourselves, right? And in place of this idea of having accountability and having community instead, right? And, and so the sales rebellion is more than just sales training and development, bro. We exist to make people better. You know, and our mission statement clearly states it and that we, we do exist to tear down the, the, the castles of the old guard and to build a kingdom. And for us, it, that kingdom is the movement. It is the community. It is the people that are willing to rise up and to change the game inside of their sales walk and build a legacy instead of, you know, hit their comp plan at the end of every year. Those things come naturally when salespeople work on the hard subjects themselves, right? Their, their habits, their rhythms, the, the ability to be able to get uncomfortable, to risk right? When we start to do those things, the rest falls into play easily and without hesitation and without any type of resistance at that. So. Yeah, I think it comes down to as well, like the way I see this, I know I'm not, um, 
I'm not a, a speaker for your movement or anything like that, but the way I see it is around um, deeply held beliefs. If you have a deeply held belief, like I've had a deeply held belief, Dale, at one point that being in sales was actually a little evil. Actually marketing too. When I was, tw <laughs> when I was 20, I was a poet uh, uh, trying to be in a band. I was doing all these things where it was about um, authenticity, brutal authenticity. And I was a little bit of a piece of shit, <laughs> but I was, I was very like idealistic about that. You know what I mean? I was a very idealistic piece of shit. And my deeply held belief was that marketing was a little evil, like you, cause you're manipulating people. Sales was a little evil. Um, and as I got into marketing, even 26, 27, 28, I had antagonism towards sales because uh, I thought those people lie. And my deeply held belief when I got out on my own as a small business owner, when I had to sell every day, really messed me up. It really held me back. It really like, because I thought that way and I probably behaved that way a little bit. And I had to change that deeply held belief. I had to flip it on its head. I had to find a way to serve people. Otherwise I was never gonna sell more than $500,000 a year. Like I, I was gonna be stuck in my situation. I'm one of those people that does prize authenticity still to this day, but I had to change my deeply held beliefs. So. I see you guys as one, like uh, one of the good guys here. You're you're trying to help people change their deeply held beliefs, wh whether they have that or they have other beliefs that are holding them back from becoming the, their best selves in, in sales. And it does weirdly. I, I remember having a conversation with our sales guy um, at my last agency, and it was weird how much he talked about his like daily habits and his energy plan waking up in the morning. And he's like, I got to hug my kids. I got to, I, I was like, dude, sounds involved. Like I, th I was asking you how to like, what lists to outreach to. Like, I don't, <laughs> like he's talking to me about his energy plan. It was so funny to me, but I, I now get it. And I understand how much your energy does play into this, how much your beliefs do play into this. And, um, yeah, I, I guess you know the topic here. We've gone we've gone off um, the topic here, which is a little bit about the sales mistakes and common sales problems. But um, I think that there's a lot of nuggets in there for people to consider. We're also going to be kind of writing this out as a blog post. We'll be listing out all the problems that we listed. So check out that link in the description. And yeah, appreciate you coming on, Dale. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate you. And this has been Hook Better Leads podcast, Hook Agency, hookagency.com, Hook Agency all over social. Dale, what are your guys' social links and your web address again? Yeah, salesrebellion.com. You can go to any social uh, site except for LinkedIn, but all the rest and just put at salesrebellion or salesrebellion into the search. Um, so that's even facebook.com backslash sales rebellion, twitter.com backslash sales rebellion. It's super easy on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com backslash I and backslash copier warrior to find my feed. You can go into my experience, find the sales rebellion there and also follow all of the coaches that also post content on a consistent basis as well too. And I, if I was just to say you guys value proposition randomly very quickly to me, it's also just community. 
and to be to be part of that community and have some accountability. So if you need that, reach out to them. And of course, once again, thanks for coming on.